Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. I'm sure you saw word about the sunken duck boat on the Missouri Lake that was filled with 31 people before it was taken out on the lake immediately prior to this storm that had winds that were within two miles per hour of hurricane force. And the duck boat sank and 17 people died, including nine members of one family. And lo and behold, a year prior to that, the, this company had its duck boat fleet examined And the mechanical inspector found massive design flaws, dangerous safety issues. But they did nothing about it. And he said uh, that included that the boat's engines and pumps that remove water from their hulls might fail in bad weather. In rough conditions, water could get into the exhaust system and then into the motor, cutting it off. With the motor off, its pump for removing water from the hull would not operate. It's exactly what happened. But warnings were ignored. Shocker there. I probably mentioned this previously, but prior to his powwow, his summit with his new buddy, BFF Vlad, Vladimir Putin. Russia had a statement concerning Donald Trump, and it was this, quote, we consider Trump a negotiating partner, end quote. And that was per Kremlin advisor Yuri Ushakov. And he told reporters that in Finland on the day that the uh, summit took place. And He said the following about the summit. He said, quote, the presidents would meet one-on-one with just their interpreters, end quote. Fascinating. And, you know, and the Donald no doubt believed that that's the way it needed to be. And yet Vladimir Putin is fluent in English. (laughs) He understands and speaks English, but he is a Cheshire cat. (laughs) And so they have this one-on-one meeting, and they each have their interpreter there, and Putin can understand everything that's being said. So his interpreter was not there to interpret. His interpreter was there for some other purpose. His interpreter was not an interpreter. (laughs) Uh, But uh, the Donald was outflanked. Not that that ever happens, right? And the president, Donald Trump, he stated uh, concerning the summit, I gave up nothing. That's right. I gave up nothing. That's a direct quote. And he goes on to say, we merely talked about future benefits for both countries also We got along very well. Hmm. Fascinating. And that's so important that they got along so well. Then he, a day later, he said, 
you know, he, he gave this presser in which he said, quote, I don't see any reason why it would be Russia that had hacked the election. But uh, then following that, again, that got walked back. He, he corrected that. He corrected that. He just misspoke. He didn't mean that. Quote, the sentence should have been, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be Russia. <laughs> Which has just a diametrically opposite meaning. Oh, just a simple little, you know, misstatement. And he, and he says of that sort of a double negative. Yeah, sort of a lie, I think. But uh, uh, do, you believe, do you believe him when he says that, that he misspoke concerning that? If he misspoke concerning that and it was drawn to his attention, he would have corrected it immediately. And I would have thought he would have uh, taken, would have heard some questions concerning it right at that point in time and would have corrected it immediately. But no. (laughs) Uh, But Leon Panetta said the following, quote, There is no question that there is something here that intimidates the president of the United States. He was interviewed by Brian Williams, you know, former disgraced uh, Brian Williams of NBC, uh, reporter, anchor, anchor and uh, reporter and with MSNBC, but then NBC anchor, Nightly News, whom I liked. Uh, I appreciated just like I did with uh, his predecessors, Peter Jennings and so forth. And what I liked about them is their delivery, their expertise of delivery and performance and so forth. And I found them to be enjoyable, even though, of course, diametrically (laughs) contrary in terms of beliefs and things like little things like that, values and what have you. But. Leon Panetta goes on to say the following, and please listen closely to this quote. (laughs) He says the following, whether the Russians have something on this president or not, no one really knows. But the way he behaves, there is a clear signal that the Russians have something on him. Okay, so give that again. Quote, Whether the Russians have something on this president, that is Trump, or not, no one really knows, meaning including Panetta. But the way he behaves, there is a clear signal that the Russians have something on him, end quote. So he wants to have both ways, right? Panetta, Leon Panetta, is that he says that we don't know, nobody knows whether the Russians have anything on Trump, but clearly they do. (laughs) Yeah, you just think it's fascinating, really. Leon Panetta, of course, a former spy master, former director of the CIA, therefore Barack Hussein Obama, after Joe Brennan, I believe it's Joe, who, of course, famously converted to Islam. But and now is on the warpath against President Trump and will continue to be so, uh, according to what he has said, until 
integrity is restored to the White House. You know, integrity like there was under the previous president and some other illustrious presidents, the likes of Bill Clinton and what have you. The integrity of the Lyndon Baines Johnson White House in which the president and his staff uh, enjoyed the White House swimming pool in the nude at all times and uh, so forth. Yes, integrity goes with that office. There's been so much integrity in our White House. But these men, these spy masters are so to be trusted. <laughs> the same uh, as, of course, dear Vladimir Putin. Only Vladimir Putin, unlike Leon Panetta and Brennan and so forth, Vladimir Putin, for a significant portion of his career, was a case officer, an operative for the KGB under the former Soviet Union. He never rose to rank of privilege and honor and what have you. He never scaled those heights. He had dreams of grandeur to that effect, but he never succeeded in arriving there. But then with the fall, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, ironically, after an intermission which was very sketchy and difficult for him and in which he felt, apparently felt, betrayed by the former Soviet Union uh, that, let, that it allowed him to fall on such hard times and so on and so forth, he managed to hitch his wagon to a number of individuals who brought him to the pinnacle of power through stages, first as right-hand man to the mayor of St. Petersburg, whom had been a law professor for him and whom he served very badly <laughs> as far as... Uh, I can see, and brought about his, his undoing. But then he was elevated to position at the KGB, FSB, and then he was catapulted to the prime ministership and very quickly ascended to the presidency. Uh, really a charmed existence for that period of time of his life. Remarkable, remarkable ascendancy. It helps to have friends in high places, low friends in high places. That has always been the case with every president that we've had with a notable exception of Ronald Reagan, and perchance with Donald Trump. Not that there is a smidgen of similarity between the two men if you get beneath the surface. But 
this United States of America has suffered under the leadership of unworthy, not just undeserving, but unworthy, unrighteous, ungodly leaders. One looking in from outside of this nation or from outer space, you know, for all of the fans of aliens this and aliens that, might think that the people, or at least the voters, the registered voters, voting public here in the United States of America, in this United States of America, prefer unrighteous leaders, ungodly leaders, because we have had so many of them. But frankly, again, by the time elections get down to the general elections, preceding the primaries all the way up to the general election, it is so winnowed down that there is a situation you find yourself in which has been described as you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Or darned if you do and darned if you don't, if you prefer. But President Trump, prior to his big summit with Vladimir Putin, was at the summit of NATO in Brussels, Belgium. And in a program, not the last program, but the one preceding that, I had made mention regarding the president's remarks about Montenegro, tiny Montenegro, and about the looming danger of the United States of America being pulled into World War III out of necessity to defend Montenegro after tiny Montenegro should engage in aggressive attack against, you know, Russia. (laughs) Uh, Just uh, beyond preposterous, but again, also the Article 5 there of the NATO Pact and uh, the others, the other articles, do not allow for the member nations to be required to go to the defense of a NATO member state or nation which has engaged in unprovoked aggression. But as I said at that time, it will never be about that. It will never be about unprovoked aggression. Certainly not by tiny Montenegro. Tiny Montenegro, whom the president opined was populated by especially strong, aggressive people. And uh, basically, he made it out that they were troublemakers and dangerous and so on and so forth, which was beyond bizarre. After all, it is Russia that has engaged in a very, very heavy-duty version 
of gunboat diplomacy, you might call it, with reference to the Crimean region of Ukraine and, in fact, all of Ukraine and Georgia and what have you. Russia, not to blame Putin, even though he's responsible for everything that his regime does. Nothing of consequence is done by the Russian Federation regime without his tacit approval and or his direction, instruction, commandment, so on and so forth. So the assassination attempts made against Ukraine's leaders, the repeated attempts, the attempt to bring that nation down so that it may be recovered by Russia, the very, very provocative aggression against Georgia. These actions are those of a world superpower, a nuclear superpower, not a mighty mouse situation with North Korea, which is a satellite slave state of Russia, of the former Soviet Union, and of communist China, No offense to Mighty Mouse, but no, tiny Montenegro does not pose a danger, Mr. President, nor do the member states of NATO. To my surprise, Sweden and Finland are not currently member states. I had imagined that they were. I would have thought that they would have... uh, deemed it advisable to be members, but they are not currently members of NATO, but they are definitely leaning that way. And they entered into an agreement here very recently to permit NATO access to their territory, not only terra firma, but likewise, their seas. And the Russian Federation has protested most strongly about that and and has stated very, uh, hmm, what is the word, bombastically that there will be grave consequences. I'm no lover of NATO, no believer in NATO, per se. But (laughs) this idea that membership in NATO is going to precipitate World War III for the United States of America is bizarre and absurd. I personally would prefer, to put it ever so exceedingly 
gently and diplomatically, I would greatly prefer if the President of the United States of America was a man whom I could respect. And appreciate. But that simply is not the case. Nonetheless, better to have someone even as out of his depths as Donald Trump rather than to have someone who is avowedly evil and bent on deliberately, intentionally, premeditatedly, passionately bent on the destruction of this nation. Now, in this program, I do make reference from time to time of the Bible, of something from the Bible, an idea, (laughs) a law, a precedent, scripture from the Holy Bible. But it is very limited as far as what I make reference to. And I purposely limit it so that this continues as a Christian news talk program, if you will. Christian in the sense that I am a Christian and I am informed by God's word in my faith in Jesus Christ. Not that I am some generic Christian, because I am not. But my other programs are of a different degree of sharing from the Word of God concerning in some cases, some of the very same things that I discuss on this program. And since it is near midpoint on this program, let me just state again. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And anything good and right and true and accurate in this program is thanks to God Almighty and His Christ Jesus. And whatever's wrong lacking, erring, errant, failing, is due to me. Such as uh, my (laughs) mention previously with regard to Sweden, Sweden and NATO. But while NATO will not be responsible for World War III. Neither will it be responsible for saving the day once World War III begins. 
When people think of World War III, if they do, I think they typically think in terms of really World War II. And that there are a variety of superpowers that are pitted against one another. Now, the experts, the great experts that are out there, especially those who have very carefully been instructed to uh, engage in indoctrination and propaganda and misinformation and disinformation via organizations, including the Council on Foreign Relations, they make it out that, well, there is never going to be another great war, another world war. Never. Why? Because there's only one world superpower, the United States of America, of course. You know, it, it takes two to tangle, right? Two or three to tangle, maybe five or six, but certainly not one. Well, the United States of America, as the CFR knows very well, is not the only world superpower, nor has it ever been. And again, these experts make it out that the only things that we really have to be concerned about, other than, of course, the great, great questions and catastrophes of our age, such as worldwide climate change, Overpopulation. That sort of thing. But certainly the only other things we would have to be concerned about would be the occasional rogue regime. An occasional instance of a little dictatorship that gets its hands on nuclear weapons. That sort of thing. And at the absolute extremity, the maximum, it would be of an exacerbation of the Islamofascist threat. But world war, nah, never, never going to be that. And that, of course, is backed up by the media, the entertainment industry, which back in the good old days, back in the 50s and 60s, was, of course... the bane of those who insisted that it was terrible and monstrous and so forth, and a witch hunt. So right up the president's alley, 
regarding any red scare, regarding communists making use of the entertainment industry. But ironically, of course, they were making use of it. And these other forces that are not strictly communist, but socialist, extreme leftists, have been using the entertainment industry ever since to engage in all manner of subversion of this nation, of its social mores, of its social fiber, which actually was spiritual fiber, and to corrupt and to pervert and overthrow from within by pulling the rug out, so to speak. But these are enemies domestic, but who are instructed by enemies foreign. But whatever program you happen to see that has something in its storyline about the demise of the United States of America or the attempted demise is usually the case. And that also pertains to Britain. Whether it happens to be a spy story or a military whatever, incursion and rescue and what have you, uh, some terrorist storyline, whatever it is, you'll find that it's never, at least not that I'm aware of, never superpower versus superpower. It, there may be some deranged rogue element within a superpower, you know, that attains to a high enough level that they are able to hijack these nuclear weapons or whatever and the nuclear codes and what have you. But it's never deliberate, premeditated attack of a superpower by a superpower. And that's just fiction. That's just silliness. I mean, <laughs> uh, that's, it's as silly as the nonsense about alien invasions and what have you. And, of course, uh, the favorites uh, being all these other creatures whether they happen to be zombies or vampires or what have you, all the, the things that are so in vogue in the entertainment industry. It's amazing. The entertainment industry puts out so much in the way of its offerings, so much that is so unentertaining, so much that is so ugly and dirty and gritty and bloody and gory and terribly violent and with no redeeming value. So much of it, and that's, that's including other types of entertainment, so-called, which I have not touched on today, such as the horror movies, the slasher movies, the torture movies, murders, and so forth. So much of that, the entertainment industry puts out so much of that. And it is commonplace 
that young actresses have to take parts in horror movies on their way up to mainstream movies. Long before they can get into a feature film, they almost always wind up appearing in X number of horror movies. Should they? No. But their agents and what have you steer them that way, and that's what so very many of them end up doing. And yes, in soapbox operas and what have you. But to me, it's horrifying that so very, very many people in the United States of America have a bloodlust for this vile, horrible, evil entertainment. But if they did not, And if sufficient numbers of people would not go to these things, that would dry up. It wouldn't continue to thrive year after year, decade after decade after decade, as it has. But this age, whatever the persuaders want us to believe about that this is the age of communication, or this is the age of technology, or this is the age of this, that, or the other thing. No. For the longest time now, even while technology has been booming, skyrocketing, it has been the age of lies and the age of subversion, the age of indoctrination, the age of propaganda. And it continues. And it will continue until this nation ends. Perhaps you don't watch television. For a very long time, I did not. And in so many respects, it is a positive thing not to. It's a terrible time waster and life waster and vicariously partaking of this, that, or the other on television is no substitute, to put it mildly, for actual life. But there are things that you can see on television that you can witness that if you did not happen to see it, you wouldn't believe these things are going on. If you go back far enough, I don't know when it was, back in the 80s, I guess, and when I was not watching TV at all, 80s, 90s, there were the very, very, very popular sitcom television programs, must-see TV, they were referred to, ones such as Seinfeld and Company or whatever it was called, Seinfeld and Friends, I don't know, whatever it was, Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld, and Friends and, uh, what's the name of that other one? Uh, But anyway, various different programs that were exceedingly popular. And even those that were not the highest rated programs, there was a constant theme 
that they were promoting, which was the acceptance, acquiescence to, the popularity of sexual immorality. When I say sexual immorality, I'm not referring to the sodomite agenda here. I'm referring to heterosexual sexual immorality, fornication, adultery, just rampant. It just became the norm. And they pushed that and they promoted that and they sold that with the good old sex sells thing. They just continually emphasized that in program after program after program. Not that I was watching TV back then, but I've seen snippets, a little snippet here, there, the other place of these things. And it just, it was overwhelming. It wasn't accidental. Now, sure, when you have programs that are created by, that are written by, that are produced by, directed by, and starred in, by people that are thoroughly immoral, shocker, you're going to get fruits that are of the same kind. This profligate immorality. And the target audience wasn't, you know, the old folks, 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever, no. It's the young people, it's teenagers, young adults, and so forth. Now, these things were promoted in the movies too, yes. But I absolutely believe that more damage was done via television than via feature films. It just so happens that that agenda is right out of the rule book of Karl Marx, of Vladimir Lenin, right from Communist Manifesto, right from Hitler's playbook, too. It's just core belief. It goes back, all the way back to Amschel Bauer, Back to the 1700s, this idea that there are certain core areas of focus, of targeting, that if they can be sufficiently, successfully made inroads in, that society will fall. And with the fall of society, governments will fall, will collapse. And that the entire world can then be enslaved under one dictatorship, one totalitarian regime, or... For the Islamo-fascists, one Islamo-fascist hegemony. This passionate, undying lust 
to overthrow the free world, the Western nations, the United States of America, all of former Christendom, continues to this day, unabated, undeterred. I don't think of Russia being in the East the way I do China. But that's not to say that it's not in the East the same as the land of the Eastern Orthodox Church. Russia, you have Russian Orthodox, well, Greece to Turkey, Greek Orthodox, and there are definite differences between, call that will you what you will, I'll call it a civilization, definite differences between there and here. Christianity reached the majority of the world. The majority of the world was impacted, influenced, changed dramatically for the better, contrary to Hollywood, by Christendom, by the reach of Christ's followers. But Christendom was also extremely heavily influenced, of course, by the former Roman Empire, which preceding that was the Grecian Empire, Macedonian Empire before that. <laughs> And the Grecian Empire overthrew the empire of the Medes and Persians, which had overthrown the empire of the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. And with the overthrow of the empire of the Medes and Persians, Alexander assimilated so much of the Eastern empire into his own. It's not a matter of he imposed, or pardon me, well, he imposed his empire on that and transformed it, changed it to be just a much vaster Grecian empire. No, it completely changed the essence of the Greek empire. And the Roman Empire, the same way, was assimilated. This, that, the other thing, it changed. It kept morphine and morphine until (laughs) it had been overdosed on morphine and it collapsed. But the Western world has done the same thing. Instead of it being the way that it used to be in the good old days, not that long ago, But people would come from other nations to the United States of America or to other Western nations. They would immigrate. They would bring their families and loved ones, but not necessarily immediately. 
They would come to work and set up shop and carve out an existence, get housing, bring their family if their family hadn't already come with them, their wife and children and so forth. And while they brought their culture with them and retained that, whether they were Jewish or whether they were Roman Catholic or whatever all else they were, while they retained that, they also embraced much of what they found, including learning the language. And maybe not, maybe not in the first generation, but certainly by the second generation, learning the language, speaking the language, not dozens and dozens and dozens of languages being used for voting and for everything else under the sun, but instead, while they might prefer to use Italian or Spanish or French or German or Dutch or Russian in their home, they learned English. And it was a universal glue for society. Well, it's been under attack for a long time. And it's not by accident. Those who've been bent on the destruction of this nation have attacked it in certain key areas. Just as the Democrat Party focuses on key demographics, their key constituencies, the blacks, African-American peoples, and the Hispanics, and the blue-collar workers, and the union workers, and on and on. Margaret Sanger focused on the black ministers. That was her toehold, her foothold. That was the camel's nose under the tent into the black community was to, and pardon the use of this word, but it applies, seduce the black ministers, not sexually, but monetarily, and with appeals to ego, to win over the black ministers and to have them do her handiwork for her to the black communities. Brilliant. It worked brilliantly in destroying the black communities across America. And while we may think in terms of the greatest mass murderers of all time, of a list of such evil ones as that, that that might include, would have to include Joseph Stalin. Not his real name, but Joseph Stalin. Top of the list. Having been responsible for the murder of mm, 30 million or so, give or take. Adolf Hitler. Mao Zedong, Chairman Mao, colloquially, Pol Pot, 
responsible for the murder of more than half of the population of Cambodia. More than 2 million people, a great many of them children, a great many of those children forced to kill other children or be murdered themselves. And he, of course, was schooled in Paris, <laughs> the home of the French Revolution. But, and then there are the, the lesser ones, all the way down to the likes of Idi Amin and so forth, responsible for you know, murdering a couple hundred thousand with ball-peen hammers in his dungeons, that sort of thing, and whatever. But these are the mass murderers, the monstrous mass murderers definitely including Yasser Arafat, as evil a creature as has ever existed, as torturous a destroyer as has ever existed. And he inflicted his monstrous, sadistic, satanic tortures, not just on Jews and Christians, but on Muslims too, those who did not support him. But the mass murderer of all time responsible for more deaths directly and indirectly than any of these, even than Joseph Stalin, is Margaret Sanger, dear old Maggie Margaret Sanger. Yes. Through induced abortion through promotion of sexual immorality, promotion of fornication, promotion of adultery, promotion of all manner of sexual immorality, but in addition to that promotion of induced abortion, using induced abortion as a contraceptive. (laughs) Well, it's not contraception when conception has taken place, okay? It's Conception destruction, just as it, again, she's the mother, okay, the, such a motherly woman, the mother of planned parenthood, planned barrenhood, and she simply is the all-time numero uno mass murderer of civilization, and our civilization in these Western nations, including Eastern nations like Russia, China, and I mean communist China, Japan, have been so heavily, heavily, heavily influenced by this, have adopted it and have instituted it and in so many cases required it, demanded it, induced abortion. And this bloodletting is not just the bloodletting of those babies and the rapacious, sadistic exploitation of their mothers. But it also involves, then, punishment from God wrought on those nations in the form of violence, rampant violence, that goes hand-in-hand with this degradation of, degeneration of the value of life, this degrading of life. And it also 
includes other consequences. Consequences that should be obvious, should be obvious to the naked eye, that there are natural consequences from aborting babies, from stopping this natural process, violently stopping it, that there should be, it stands to reason there would be consequences, biological consequences from that. Not only consequences from God Almighty, not only consequences to one's conscience and one's mind, one's mental health or stability, if you prefer, and a seared conscience, but consequences in addition to physical violation and injuries and wounds from legal, safe and legal induced abortions, but also consequences of the likes of greatly, vastly increased incidents of breast cancer and more aggressive, virulent, recurrent, and early onset strains of breast cancer than ever before. The champions of abortion deny it, but it's true. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.